This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Hello. So today I'm talking to Monique Covergan from The Do Dudes. So Monique designs and sells the coolest baby and toddler comforters that you've possibly ever seen. Um, And she's going to talk to us today all about her business journey. Um, So as always, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And here's Monique. So hi, Monique. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Vicky. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited and a bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be nervous. It's going to be great. Um, so could you please start by telling us about your business and what it is that you sell? Yeah, of course. Um, I am uh, the creator of The Do Dudes and they are a small, um, it's a little bit of business that I set up selling baby comforters. Um, they're a completely unique design. They're super soft and snuggly and they will be baby's best friend. Oh, that's lovely. And I have seen your website, obviously. And um, yeah, I do really like them. You're right. They're very different to other comforters that I've seen out there. So I'd love to know a little bit more about sort of your inspiration for creating them and how it was that you got started. Yeah, of course. Um, I, when I had my first daughter, um, we really struggled to fall pregnant and had a few miscarriages and it just wasn't an easy journey. And um, I think one of the things that always sort of stood out for me when I was little is probably my most formative memory was um, I had a, a doo-dude growing up and I just used to love this thing and I dragged it everywhere with me and it was a manky old blanket and it smelt and it just fell apart eventually. And um, I just remember that sort of bond and that fondness. And I just, as when we first, we had our first daughter, um, I just remember kind of like, I don't know, that all those memories kind of flooded back to me and I was sort of looking around for something that I found, I could find that would be suitable to sort of, I don't know, just reflect more of her personality and be a little bit more suited to her rather than just sort of an inanimate blanket at all. Um, something that wasn't just another sort of jelly cat bunny or, sorry, you can always edit out names. Um, so I couldn't find anything and I just thought, well, why don't I try and make something because I'm a little bit crafty. And um, yeah, then I sort of had a little play around. I designed some stuff. And I sewed it pretty badly. Um, but yeah, that was Mr. Pink and he was the first to do that was ever born. And then I sort of, I just kind of felt like, oh, this is quite exciting. And um, I'd been going to these mother's meetings um, talks for a while. And um, they're always encouraging mums and 
to sort of do something new, do something different, you know, don't just sit there. And if you've got an idea, then why don't you try it out? So I kind of went like, oh, you know, why don't I try and make some of these? And I suppose that was then the beginning of the journey, really. Um, And then once you go from why don't I try and make them, suddenly it becomes your focus on everything, I suppose, and sort of like, how can I make this happen? So did you start off making them all by hand? Um, I made a few by hand. The faces, because of the way that I designed them, um, and I wanted that sort of like handmade um, feel, I, um, what's it called, blanket stitched all the details around the faces. And I was never, I sort of inherited a sewing machine from my sister, but I was never a good sewer. So I found a mum sort of in my local neighbourhood who didn't mind sewing the the outer shapes for me so she spent you know I'd sort of pay her per item and she just fitted them in round naps and stuff and she was a brilliant seamstress so it was just super easy for her and it just gave her something to do and then you know she sort of was helping me out um so yeah in the beginning I made them all by hand but it just isn't sustainable as I sort of learned very quickly in terms of setting up a new business and everything that I needed to learn it was just another thing with a you know at this point um E was probably about one and a half, two. You know, you've still got this little toddler and you're sort of trying to figure it out. Like, there's so many things that you have to do when you've got a nap time, and that's basically a working hour or a couple of hours at the end of the day. Sitting there sewing wasn't something that I could afford to do. So I started to look at outsourcing, and that's where things get a little bit more complicated. (laughs) Definitely. <laughs> so, um, so, so how far? So, how long were you into sort of this journey of creating and selling the doodoos when you decided to outsource the production? Um, I think I was always looking at it because I knew I'd never sustain sewing them myself. Um, I would love to have sort of carried on sewing them with the mum down the road, but she couldn't do the faces and she didn't want to do the faces. Um, so that was understandable. And then it was like, well, can I maybe try and get someone else to do the faces and combine that process? But it's one of those things that my product's quite a simple looking piece, but it's actually really tricky to put together. You've got lots of felt cut out shapes, quite complicated shapes with stars and flashes and um, little pupils and eyes. And then you know, you have to draw, uh, sew the noses and it sort of, it became a piece that people didn't really want to do half and half of it. Sort of, they either sort of just thought it was too complicated and stayed away from it. Um, or they were sort of, yeah, they sort of said, oh, we can probably do it or we can't. So, sorry, I'm getting a bit confused. So I was, um, I was trying to think how long into the process I was before I started looking at it. I think I was looking at it quite, quite well soon into it, into the process of having started it because I just knew it wasn't sustainable but I didn't realize how long it was going to take for me to find someone to be able to make them for me which I think is the one thing that you underestimate yes definitely and I'd love to talk about that in a second sort of how you went about finding Mm. someone Um, but first I'm really curious so where were you making your first sales was it mostly mums that were local to you or did you get a website set up early on so how did you sort of first launch them in terms of having them as a product for people to buy um, I set up um, an Instagram account straight away and I think I linked it to a Facebook account. I think you have to sort of do it um, that way. Because I've been going to these business uh, mothers meeting, business academy meetings, I kind of knew sort of like the first steps of sort of what I needed to think about. The first one's the first one that I made was for a best friend and her little boy and then she asked me to make one for a friend of hers who's had a baby and then um, I started posting about them on my personal Instagram 
Um, and then as soon as sort of a couple of friends had sort of asked for things and had sort of showed it around these mothers' meetings, it sort of became a little bit more, um, a little bit more known. And that's when I suppose I sort of was like, okay, I need to make them their own entity. I don't want it to be my, my personal account. I want it to be the do dude. So I spent some time playing around with logos and sort of designing the look and feel and the brand itself. And I could sort of launch that um, once I sort of felt ready and was sort of in the process of, oh gosh, it's also like, it feels like so short ago, but so long ago when you sort of think back to it. I think because of the Business Academy, I'd sort of was lining up a website. And once I knew the website was up and running, um, I had, was also trying to time that with the same time as finishing getting someone to help me with production. And my first batch was made um, by a professional seamstress in East London. And she sort of, she, we spent time sort of trying to match a um, embroidery style because she couldn't do the um, blanket stitch, but she found a similar zigzag that she could replicate on her machine to be able to do um, the shapes, the felt shapes. So I sort of had her working in parallel with me trying to sort of set up the back end of understanding toy safety, understanding the website, setting that up. I'd never set up anything, a website before, um, you know, sort of opening up business bank accounts and registering my company, also, you know, buying domains and just the things that sort of a lot of people probably maybe take for granted, but you know, you just sort of finding every step along the way, you're finding out something new and you're going, Oh, okay, well, I can't do it until I've got this. And then I can't do it until I've got that. So, um, in the meantime, I had a sort of small stash of handmade ones that I was sort of just working through. And then as soon as the, um, the, the first sort of batch came through, then I was able to sort of use those a little bit to help leverage if I still had friends asking about um, buying one to kind of just help push along away. Um, so yeah, so it was all a bit kind of, I don't know, chicken and egg, I think. It sort of kind of all happened at the same time, but it felt like a very long time, but also a very short time. It sort of, I think it must have taken me a good six months, I'd say, to kind of get myself sort of ready to sort of do a public launch. And the funniest bit is, is when you do do a public launch, you kind of go, well, who do I tell? <laughs> I'm ready. I've got this website, but no one knows where to find it. <laughs> and so it was like, I launched and I sort of told my friends and family and sort of tried to spread the word as much that way. But I hadn't got to the point of understanding like press and PR and those kind of sort of that sort of stage yet. And, you know, I sort of used sort of more small networking groups within like this mother meetings and sort of all by mama groups and things like that. But yeah, it was sort of like, ta-da, here's this website and here's my product but sort of still wasn't sort of known to the public so the next step was to kind of draw people to it and sort of build up a following and sort of build it up that way but I think the um the sort of the hidden side is just as big as the sort of visual side so you sort of when you're dabbling on doing drawings in the middle of the night and um figuring out or trying to read up on toy safety and the crazy things that you just don't know and don't understand you sort of feels like you spend weeks just on those little stages alone before you sort of go, okay, that feels like I understand it or I know what I need to do next. And then all of a sudden the next stage is like, oh, okay. I don't know what I need to do next, but I need to do something and I need to do it quick to make, you know, keep the momentum moving. 
I think that's one of the reasons it seem, it can seem like a short time and a long time is because when you're in it, yeah. there's so much to do and you're just busy and you're always doing the next thing. Um, it kind of yeah. one thing, but actually when you look back on it, you can see, oh, actually it was 20, 30 small things. Um, it wasn't yeah, one big thing. It's just so many elements. Um, I've got yeah. so many follow-up questions. I'm wondering where to go first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I might start with, so do you have a design background, Monique? I, I realise I don't actually know that about you, whether you have a design background. Oh. You've mentioned um, branding yes. and designing. Yeah, you do. Yes, I do. Um, I was a creative art worker and studio manager by trade when I was um, in the workforce before children. Um, and I sort of probably spent about 15 years kind of working my way from being a creative art worker up into studio manager and resource manager at a design agency. It's a, an advertising agency called Elvis. Um, and it was when I went on maternity leave that I sort of, I loved what I did, but I sort of wanted to be able to make it work part time and just it's sort of the nature of that game was just all or nothing. It was just a bit kind of like, you know, studios, the last port of call. You're always expected to be there finishing late nights over weekends. Um, and it just wasn't something that I was willing to kind of sort of sacrifice straight away. So um, we decided that I wouldn't go back to work when I first, um, when we first had Evie. And yeah, so I suppose it was sort of, that's really helped in terms of, you know, having an understanding being, capable on a Mac to be able to sort of play around with fonts and logos and sort of get to a look and feel that I was happy with um, rather than having to sort of outsource that to someone else or get someone else to help me with stuff so I suppose I was really lucky in that sort of sense and um, I think that creativity sort of helps me as well because I've always loved photography and um, so I do all my own photography on all of my pieces that I put up and um, obviously besides from sort of photos that come from happy customers um so yeah so I sort of like I definitely need more help on the planning side of things because I was never that sort of creative kind of you know the planner or the sort of the product developer or we were the sort of we were definitely the kind of like hands-on make it happen um part of the process so I think you know I love going to talks about and hearing things about how to sort of develop the brand and how you need to think about your marketing strategies and stuff. Because even though I worked in an advertising agency, you don't necessarily come into that contact with that information every day as we're just sort of the last port to, port to call. Um, and we always sort of struck up against tight deadlines. So, but it did definitely give me a lot to start with, which I was very lucky with. Um, but I didn't do anything I wasn't digital, so I had to teach myself how to do um, set up my Shopify, Shopify website. Um, which once you sort of kind of understand a little bit, it does sort of become more natural to you. Yeah, and I think that Shopify is one of those, and there are I know there are other platforms. I use Shopify too, but it's one of those things that actually is quite intuitive and user friendly. Mm. I think if you were setting up a website, I don't know how long ago, 10, 20 years ago, I imagine it was. I oh, know. Literally had to know the coding, (laughs) (laughs) and it's good to know a bit about your background as well. And I think what you've said really highlights the fact that it doesn't matter what your background is. There's always going to be strengths and areas that you know you always have strengths, and you always have areas that you know less about, and you have to work on. So I think that's a really good reminder as as well. Um, Mm. So in terms of we were talking about some of the practicalities, and so obviously you knew a lot about the design aspects of how to design your products, um, and we'll talk about getting the manufactured in just a moment what it'd be good to understand is so 
how what did you do in terms of like the safety standards and how the how the um, comforters had to be constructed and compliant and that kind of thing because I imagine that's an area that terrifies a lot of people because very few of us have got experience in that area yeah um it also terrified me because obviously I was making a baby product that can be used from birth and the last thing I wanted was for anything to happen and a baby get harmed anywhere and that's certainly any kind of manufacturers anyone that's producing anything is biggest fear um but I joined a fantastic group in the beginning because obviously everything was handmade and it was it's the Facebook group I think it's um CE standards for handmade um I need to double check it um but they're fantastic so they're sort of just a self-funded group or not even funded I don't even think it's just a group and if you're going to be making anything that's going to be used for being um kids and toddlers and stuff Stuff. they talk you through how to get stuff um ce tested and a lot of the time you can do it yourself in the, um for certain things there's a lot of stuff that you can't actually do yourself so you can't sort of chemically test your fabrics and things but the um um the sort of stress tests that the product goes through in terms of sort of like the durability and the sort of like how many times you can pull this thing apart and you know strain the seams and pull on anything that's dangly or, you know, see if anything's going to come. Those kind of things, they do it. Once you start understanding it, it does make a lot more sense. And you can do some initial tests yourself. Um, the best course of action is to always get it done professionally. Um, there are a lot of um, safety, um, what are they called? Safety testing agencies out there. And um, obviously, I think the biggest thing is it's a big expen- expenditure in the beginning. Um, is when you're getting everything sort of safety tested. Um, the first ones I did myself, and then this, I had all the fabrics chemically tested to make sure that there was no harmful um, chemicals or dyes or azos or anything like that, any kind of irons. You'd be surprised at sort of what people try and hide in fabrics. It's crazy. Um, and then when I was having them manufactured, I sent them off to be um tested independently so you pay for that test and um then they kind of send the results back to you and as long as you're sort of aware of kind of you don't change the process of how you make things so it's always the same process you've got the same stitch type you've got the same you know overlock versus single stitch or whatever and however those seams are bound together and however you attach ribbons or whatever as long as that process remains the same your product if you change on mine the designs change slightly um within the faces but it doesn't mean i need to get every single one safety tested because i know my batch of fabrics um again once i'd sort of moved into a sort of bigger manufacturing and i was ordering fabrics in by sort of 50 meters um or 100 meters i knew that my i could source organic 100 percent got organic cotton jersey which comes fully certified already. So I don't have to pay for that certification. But in the beginning where I wasn't quite sure of um, some of the fabric had come from, I got it all fully safety tested and made sure just to check that um, the sort of supplier was giving me the correct information. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose it's sort of the structural um, and durability of it and the sort of uh, the biggest thing is obviously what goes into the fabrics um, themselves and how they're made so again on my plush i made sure that i could source it all en certified and um, which is the european standard um, en 71 
And that means that that has been certified at source where it's come from and to European standards. So um, I know the standard will change slightly now that Brexit has happened. And in January, this is one of the things I need to sort of, your continuously never ending to do list is to double check what the new um, CE mark will be. Because I think everybody would recognize the CE mark on a toy, which is the international safety standard mark. Um, so I just need to check what that will change to in January 2021. Um, but yeah, I think this taste, the testing will be pretty much very similar to where we are now. They're not going to change the process of it. So once you've had the testing and you pass the test, does that mean you can display the CE mark on your product labels? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, presumably before you do even do the testing, you need to sort of find out for yourself what the standards are. Would that be, am I right in saying that? So that you can at least yes. produce products that you feel are meeting those standards. So where yeah. is, I mean, is that a lot of Google research? Where did you find the best place to find that sort of information out? It's a lot of Google research. There's, um, uh, for toys, there's the British Toy Association, which has got a lot of amazing information on. Um, a lot of the information I also got from the Handmade Toy Facebook group. Uh, Facebook group. Um, and yeah, it's sort of, it's just a lot of reading. Again, I'm sort of trying to think of like exactly where I found it, but I'm one of those terrible Googlers. I can't, I don't know how to surf the internet efficiently. And some people are just amazing. I just fall down these random holes and get lost and sidetracked. I suppose it's also because I get so easily distracted. Um, but yeah, I'm desperately trying to think and I'll follow up with any other um, websites and things that I can remember offhand. Um, but the safety um, agencies themselves, the safety testing agencies, they're quite happy to talk you through about what you need to do. And I was, um, sort of made aware of them quite early on. So as soon as I knew that it needed to be safety tested and you could do it through these sort of um, independent bodies, I sort of went to them and sort of was asking them questions and um, they're very helpful. So they, you know, they obviously want to make sure that they can give you as much information as possible. Thank you. And yes, do please send over any websites that you come across that, you, that you've that you used because I'll put those in the show notes so that people can really easily go and find them. And it's also a good point to say that I'll put your website and in the show notes as well because I'm sure that people listening up until this point, you know, might be trying to picture what your products look like. Best thing to do, <laughs> just click through to the show notes, go and have a look. Because um, I think it's always good to have a picture in your mind. So when we're talking about now, yeah. we're going to move on and talk about the manufacturing. So before we do that, go and have a look at the products and then you'll have a really good sense of what it is that we're talking about. So how yeah. did you go about um, finding someone to manufacture them on a larger scale? Um, I spent a lot of time asking people and sending off um, I suppose that was a, one of the most annoying bits is sort of sending off samples to people who um, you sort of find. Finding manufacturers is like finding gold. Um, if someone has a good manufacturer, they don't want to share it with you. Just because once you've sort of started searching, you realise how tricky it is to find someone that you can work with. Um, again, sort of through various mothers' meetings groups and things, you know, I would always ask, someone's advice or um just sort of say hey does anyone have any guidance or can anyone point me in any directions or does anyone sh mind sharing any information and sometimes people are more than happy to say yes sometimes they're a little bit more selective over kind of you know what information they share which is absolutely totally fine um 
but I did just spend a lot of time just emailing people. You know, for my product, it was all about the embroidery on the faces. So I'd just look up embroiderers and just sort of work my way through lists and sort of send them emails, give them phone calls. I'd always send an email with um, links to my um, images or, you know, sort of like pictures of my products so they could see what I was talking about. Um, just because otherwise it's quite hard to sort of imagine you, know, you tell them it's a bunny shape and it's got a little uh, felt face sewn on the front and different like you know an eye patch on one eye and then the other eye is normal and some embroidered heart shaped nose and they're sort of like hmm okay that sounds complicated <laughs> and you're like yes yeah, a little bit it's got plush on the front and cotton on the back with some a little ribbon on the side oh yeah okay <laughs> like no i don't think we can do that so i got a lot of no's and um Oh, yes. I remember um, one of the um, trade fairs that I went to, um, which I did source a lot of um, potentially British made companies, um, was the Make It Britain um, trade fair. And they're all British based um, companies so that you could sort of go along to this big trade fair. Obviously, in this point, it was in real life. Now, I think it's all online. Um, and speak to manufacturers and they go there and that's their sort of kind of like forum for being able to be seen and sort of found and it was nice because you can go and have a conversation with them and you can just show them your product in real life and they can hold it and touch it and um some people desperately try to make things work they sort of said yes we can do the embroidery but we can't do the second the final fit but then one company said they could do the final so but they couldn't do the embroidery. And then I was trying to work out how I could match these two together. But um, the one thing you sort of always have got to be conscious of is sort of, you don't really think about when you're making a few, but as soon as you start moving around sort of a hundred meters of material, it's really heavy. Um, and after you shift it in from, you know, I think mine came from Portugal, then, you know, you've already paid shipping on this to get it into the country. And then you're going to be shipping, some parts to here and you're going to be shipping other bits to there and then you're going to try and marry them up. So it does make it quite complicated and you kind of go, well, that's actually when I start working on the cost of everything, it's not cost effective to be splitting the parts. So you're back at square one, trying to find someone that can do it all together. And it was actually a really random um, event. I went and did my first trade show, which was called Dot to Dot. Um, and I don't think they're actually running anymore, Dot to Dot um, Trade Fair. And it was for kids and children's products. Um, and I was standing on the new business section. There's sort of like four stands, which were sort of new business. And I was chatting to the ladies on either side of me, who were obviously also new businesses. And um, one of them, she um, is uh, called Ari London. And she was making these beautiful children's clothes. Um, and she had all these amazing fabrics and we we're just talking about fabrics and over the sort of course of the two days she sort of told me that she was just a self-proclaimed fabric lover and um, I said oh wow it'd be great just to talk to you more um, after the show and we can just you know I'm really struggling to try and find um, the right organic cotton and plush in sort of large quantities I don't really know what to do and she said yeah yeah I'd love to help you so Again, I think you should never stop asking for help because you never know who's willing to give it and who isn't. Even if you get knocked down a hundred times, just keep going, just keep asking. Because I literally did, I asked everyone, like, does anyone know, have any contacts in sort of like wholesale fabrics? And again, sometimes you get yes, sometimes you get no. And she was just so 
um, she was so lovely and we actually formed an instant friendship and she sort of helped me. Um, she said, I've got lots of contacts. We can sort of, I can help you find um, some fabric manufacturers. And then it, just the way that it worked out, um, you know, as we kind of carried on talking, she sort of said, oh, um, I currently, I run a little studio up in Scotland. And I said, that's amazing. And she said, my studio manager, I was chatting to her about these. This was a couple of weeks down the line. Because um, I'd also been talking to her about how I was struggling to find a manufacturer. And she said, um, my studio manager reminded me that we've got this old embroidery machine in the back that we never use. And she said, why don't you send a sample up and we'll see if we can replicate it. And I was like, wow, okay, that's fantastic. So I sent a sample up to her and then sent a sample back. And it was like, achieved the blanket stitch on this amazing embroidery machine I was like yay this is this is like magic this is the best thing that's happened but you know it, it probably took a good four months to get to that point maybe more I can't even remember it was just sort of constantly try a couple of people at the same time see who comes through and then it was just no which invariably always used to be then you sort of hit the sort of internet again find the next range of people that you can try and just sort of keep going um, so she ended up making um, my first two batches for me, which was fantastic. Um, so they were all made up in Scotland, got all the fabric imported to them. They could do everything. So it was the cut, measure, trim, CMT, I think is what they call it in the industry, um, service. And I got these boxes of dudes shipped down to my house. And that was sort of like, that was it. We could actually be, you know, taking them to markets and selling them at fairs and you know pushing Instagram and Facebook and sort of getting them out there but yeah it was a really long process um, and one that's always a bit tricky to kind of to pin down yeah I think it's definitely something that takes some perseverance and I think especially mm. when like such, it sounds like your product has so many different elements and you need quite a lot of different skills to actually be able to put one together I yeah. can definitely see how that was a challenge but yeah I'm so pleased you managed to find someone who could do it all and do it all to the quality that you need as well I think that's yeah. fantastic so we spoke a little bit before so I'm going to change subjects a little bit now um, yes. you mentioned when you launched and that you know you weren't doing anything like press or PR however I have seen you in the press so I'm okay I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about sort of you know did you have a press and PR strategy how did you go about you know, how, how did you get in the press basically I suppose is the question yeah um again I know I keep talking about it, but along your way, certainly in um, being a mum-made business, there's a big support network um, to you. Um, I know we met through All by Mama. I've been in touch with another business called Mama Made. Um, there's Mother's Meetings. Um, and there was another business that I um, got in touch with, and her name was Tailored Bundles, and she used to put together these beautiful gift boxes. Um, and I sort of approached her and sort of said, oh, I'd love to, you know, be considered for one of your gift boxes. And she sort of said, yes, of course, I really like your product. And actually, she'd also just found me randomly through Instagram or something. And I sort of, we'd sort of been following the same person that she works with already. And I was sort of like, oh, I like the look of this lady. Um, so I joined, I was part, of, I was one of her suppliers um, for a while, but she sort of has just shut down and um, it just was the right time for her business to sort of be um, taking a new turn. Um, but um, she put me in touch with a lovely 
um, PR agency that she uses because I was talking to her about, you know, how do I sort of grow myself? And she's, again, she's got so much information and knowledge and you just talk and ask with all these different people. And um, she said, I've got a great uh, PR company who's called Carnsight Communications, who she was using for her PR. Um, and she put me in touch with the lady there, Jessica, and we sort of got chatting. And it was always one of those things that I sort of just said, look, I, I don't have any money. I've never had any money to just sort of splash around, which is why I've done everything. And everything takes a lot longer and a lot slower. But she sort of said, well, why don't we just work with what you have? You know, we just we break it down to, you know, um, we'll break it down to sort of like a couple of hours here and there and then, you know, work it up until we've spent a whole day on it and then we can review where we are. Um, and she said, as long as you've got an idea of what you want us to be doing, then we can sort of focus on that. Cause she sort of said to me, like, it doesn't really feel like you need us to be planning your content. You don't need us to be running your socials at the moment. Um, it's more about the stuff that you don't have the time for. And I just sort of said, I'd love to reach out to press. I always keep saying to myself that's the next thing the next most important thing to be doing but then you get sidetracked by seo testing your website because you realize that no one's finding it because your analytics is not right and your seo like keywords are wrong so that takes you a month to sort of sort out and figure out because you're only doing it an hour every day um so yeah, so I said to her, I'd love, I'd love to be able to do a PR push. Um, and she said, that's great. We can know exactly what we can do. And so we just worked together and they just sort of did it in small batches, spent a couple of hours a day sort of doing the first step, kind of finding all the publications that we thought were probably right, getting contacts for them. Then, um, you know, we'd sort of worked on the, putting the press release together. I worked on all the images, made sure we had a nice batch. And then um, they reached out to everyone they did the follow-up sessions um, and eventually we got a couple of uh, interests back and then ta-da, you kind of go, let's wait and see what happens. And then all of a sudden they said, oh yeah, by the way, you've been featured. So it was really lovely to kind of get the recognition, um, certainly because I got featured in some really nice places. I got um, a feature in Stylist, which was amazing. And they had an uh, ethical edit um, and I Little Dudes made it into that. Um, we also made it into gift guide for baby magazine, which is an industry magazine um, city kids magazine also featured us in the autumn issue under the, we love products, new products. Um, and who was the other one? Oh, oh, the other one was um, the indie best list. One of the 11 best um, baby gifts to buy for Christmas. So yeah, it was really fantastic to kind of get that recognition. And again, I think once you've, I've never had to do that. I don't know how to approach journalists. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to put a press release together. It doesn't take that long, but when you've got this never ending list of things to do and you're doing everything on your own, you kind of do just have to go, okay, who can help me with that? And if I need to spend, I think we ended up spending about two days worth of fees across a good couple of weeks. That was probably the best money that I'd spent because it was actually it actually got me something back and it was something that I didn't just keep putting off and putting off because I would have never got around to it. That's fantastic. And I think you're right. I think for most of us, if not all of us, there's always something that you could outsource and it's going to be different for everyone because some people listening yeah. to this will say, well, actually I can do my PR, but I need an accountant or whatever it is. Mm. I think there's definitely yes. something to be said for outsourcing things that are likely to give you a return on investment, but you yeah. just don't have the time, the expertise because we can't, let's face it, we can't learn everything 
No, definitely not. Even if we wanted to, which I'm sure most of us don't. Yeah. Um, so what kind of impact did you have from, from being featured in the press? Did you sort of see any immediate results from that? Yes, it's sort of, it's kind of slow. I think um, Indie Best gave me the best, um, the best kind of like return um, because that's one that's sort of up for a long time. Um, the stylist was amazing, but I think the one thing with the stylist is it's sort of my product being a baby product. People look at it, sometimes they get a little bit confused by what it is. Um, and style it's such a ready kind of like oh I love that top I'm just going to buy it now for myself quickly and then it's over in a week so it's sort of if people kind of like the look of it and I did get a lot of traction but it was might not have been the right time for them to be buying a baby gift or a baby product and that's the one thing with my my product is a little bit slower because people need to be in that right time frame of life to be able to have a gift to buy for someone or have just had the baby themselves. So it is quite a sort of small market of um, purchasing. Um, and then, yeah, the baby magazine as well. That was really lovely. Lots of people um, click through and purchase from that. So yeah, it's just, I think it's just, you do have to focus on who's the right audience for you. Um, and I definitely would always, you know, try to reach out to as many people as you can because you just never know who's going to give you the most return anyway. Yeah. And do you think it's a case of once you've been featured, it's easier to get featured somewhere else or does that really not make a difference? Um, it probably makes it easier because you've already got a little bit of kudos behind you. You know, you've got a bit of a reputation. Oh, it has, you know, someone like independent or the indie best list they've they've featured you or stylist of feature stylist is you know for me it's just like ta-da stylist even if I didn't get like the most sales from them it's still like it's such an accolade to be chosen as a a stylish product to be featured in one of the magazines you know and people do look at that and people do recognize that and they do if they can make a choice, they will always either look for some kind of, um, yeah, some kind of brand recognition. You know, if, if someone else is recognizing this brand as being noteworthy, then they go, oh, yeah, I like that brand too. Yeah, I can definitely see how that might work. So um, we've just got a few questions before we finish up. Um, could you please tell us um, what you love about your biz- running your own business and about selling products, please? Um, I love the way that I can make it work around my family. Um, like I said before, I didn't go back to work full time because I wanted to be, I wanted to be a mum. I wanted to be there for pickups and things, even though that's obviously come much later in time, three years down the line, but I just wanted something that could be more adapted to a family run life. Um, and that's definitely been one of the things that has been working out from this. And then, you know, the second thing was, I just love my daughters just well both of them because I have since had a second one um they're both such snuggle bunnies they just want to cuddle everything and snuggle everything and they've always had such a strong attraction to everything and they both love their doo-doos and just the the love and care and how you see them grow with babies it just makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside and like my heart just bursts knowing that I've created a product that is going to be so loved by another little baby out there you know it doesn't matter if it's loved by one or ten or a hundred or you know hopefully thousands and thousands but it's just yes putting something into the world that kind of is going to give someone that love and care just makes me happy so 
Oh, that's so lovely. That's really <laughs> nice. And just one final question, and this is one I ask everybody, and I like this question. Um, so what is the number one piece of advice you would give to another aspiring product creator? I would definitely say if you just follow your gut, if you have a dream and you want to pursue it, just give it a go, you know, but just be realistic. I totally underestimated how much time, money and effort, you know, and blood, sweat and tears that have gone into this, it would be because I just had the simplified version in my mind of, oh, I can make it and can sew it. And I think you do have to just be realistic with yourself and say, this is going to be a long, hard slog. It's, you know, it's taken me three years to get here. Um, I think, and that's just, and I still don't feel like I'm on top of it yet, purely also because of Corona and um, having a baby, a second baby in the middle of sort of like one year after I just sort of got myself set up. But um, yeah, it's just one of those things that just, yeah, if you believe in yourself, that's brilliant because you've got to start there and then just push hard and work hard and you'll definitely make it. Oh, that's brilliant advice. Thank you so much. So I'm going to put links in the show notes, your website, your social media and everywhere that people can find you, see your products and hopefully buy your products as well. Um, Amazing. So, thank you. No, you're welcome. And thank you so much again for being here, for sharing your story, for telling us what you've done and what you've learned. That's, that's brilliant. So thank you so much. That's great. Thank you so much for having me. Right. Oh. As always, thank you so much for listening today. Um, I always appreciate you being here. Monique and myself would love to know what you think about this episode, so do get in touch. You can email me, vicky at tinychipmunk.com, or you can find me on Instagram at Vicky Weinberg Product Creation. If you've got the time to rate um, or even leave a little review for this podcast over in Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. Um, and please do subscribe and tell all of your friends about it. So have a lovely week um, wherever you are and I hope to speak to you soon. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.